welcome to episode two of Tales of Crisis. I'm your host, Martin, and with me tonight is your co-host, Mr. Chalmers. Good evening, Chalmers. Hello. How's it going? I'm good, thank you. And how are you? Yeah, I'm not too bad, thank you. I'm enjoying painting Crisis Protocol, so uh, it's getting my hobby buzz back, so it's nice. Excellent. Good to hear. Yes, it's uh, starting to take over a number of our lives. And I, I noticed you've done a number of videos uh, that will be coming out soon or are already out. Yes. Yeah, so on the Tales of War Games YouTube channel, I have done so far a painting protocol Hulk tutorial, which is more for a kind of comic book style. So lots of like dark shadows and bright colors. Um, and then I've done a painting protocol Magneto video. So that one came out on Friday. Um, and I'm planning to do a few more over the coming weeks, so have a look on our YouTube channel for that. Excellent. Yes, go check it out, people. They look great. So tonight we're going to talk about the hows and the whys of MCP. So this is more for people that maybe haven't played a lot of it, maybe you sat there thinking about buying it or have the box set and haven't really got into it, or even those that have played a couple of games and just want to make sure they're doing it right. Let's start with the why. Why would you play Marvel Crisis Protocol, Jarmus? Um, I think it's two reasons. One, that you love superheroes and wargaming, so it's kind of a... If you're a massive Marvel fanboy and you love wargaming, it's a kind of a no-brainer. Two, it's a lot quicker and it's a skirmish-based game, so you're, you've not pushing around hundreds of models. You, you've kind of got a roster of 10 and you're picking from that 10 to put on a table and that's it. So you can kind of have these quite thematic games of different affiliations fighting it out across a nice table. Yeah, you've got kind of only a handful of models to worry about. Absolutely, yeah. So you'll have approximately 10 models on the table, give or take, and we'll explain that later on. And it's a bunch of Marvel superheroes doing superhero stuff. Flying, throwing, punching, shooting lasers, mind Destroying scenery. Destroying scenery, picking up cars, picking up trucks. All that good stuff. It's very thematic. The, The rules are written in a really... Uh, thematic way it has both the beer and pringles element to it where you can just sit down with your mates and play or um, as we're starting to see there is a competitive side to it with a really solid rule set so that's the why now let's get into the how so in future we're going to do a set of mini episodes that focus in on specific elements of the game and go through that from start to finish starting with how it works and how you can then utilize that within the game but tonight we're going to go through a more high level view of how it all works for those that are unsure or as i say have played a couple of games and still trying to get their head around it all So the the basics of the game. So for me, there are two key things to most war games is a mission and points. So why are you playing the game? What are you trying to do? And how many models can you do it with? In Marvel Crisis Protocol, their mission is called a crisis. And that's part of the name. There are two types of crisis. And for me, what makes Marvel Crisis Protocol so unique is... The fact that actually this is not a preset mission, objective, whatever you want to call it. This is actually something that you have as part of your roster and your opponent has part of their roster. And you would then 
pick one and your opponent picks one and you play a combination of the two. Yeah, and that's the coolest thing because the combinations, like the, the amount of different combinations you can get is massive. But not only that, as more models and kind of affiliations come out, more missions get released as well. So it keeps the game fresh. You're not just playing the same six, 12 missions over and over again. It's very much a kind of, it's almost a mini game in itself of working out which combination of the missions to pick. Absolutely. And each of those have something called a threat value. And the threat is the equivalent of what in my world I would call points, you know, the, the limit that you can have. And that essentially says, the the limit that you can pick your characters to and these are currently within the game vary from 14 up to 20 i think there's only one 14 i think there are with the release of inhumans two 20s 17 is the most popular value in there because that was part of the core set and i think we've got probably the most current um crisis are all at 17 but there's a nice variety through there so not only are you playing different missions that are as you say different combinations we're also playing at different points values so if you're going to a tournament or an event you don't guarantee that you just pick a set and take that and that's what you're going to play with every single game yeah and that's the thing like you take that the roster of 10 that you take and in every game you're building a list from those 10 but like you said, every single game that you have, you could have a completely different threat level. And every character in the game has, they have a certain threat level to each of the characters, depending on how powerful and how kind of strong they are in the universe, then they're worth more and less. But yeah, like you said, it's kind of, you can go to an event, you could play three different threat levels and play three different lists from your 10-man roster. And it just, it keeps it fresh. You're not just playing that same <laughs> army over and over again. True. And unfortunately, you can also do it the other way, which I did the uh, um, over the weekend when we did the team event. I ended up playing 19 threat three games in a row. But yeah, it's still as enjoyable. Um, but it does mean that I'm sure you're starting to understand before you even put a model down, there's almost a pregame. And I think that for me is what's going to separate the good players from the great players is those that are able to understand that pre-game tactics of picking the right crisis compared to your opponent, picking the right threat level to force your opponent into a weaker roster, etc. And that's, that's really where it's going to be the crunch. For a relaxed game, you can always pick it in advance. If you know, you know you're, you're having a fun game with your mates on a Friday night, just pick them in advance just shuffle it up if you want to just say we're going to go with this and then in advance you can all pick your things and you don't have to go through that if you don't want to but i think it adds adds quite a bit to the game and quite a bit of intrigue before you even sit down what it also means is it takes away a lot of the pre-game theory crafting um what i found in the few tournaments i've done on tts is for Age of Sigmar, which is the other game that we both play, those tournaments you would find out sometimes half an hour, an hour before the round, right? You're playing this person and they run this. You look through their list and you can go, all right, well, I know what that's going to do. I know I need to do this. I know the mission I'm playing. Whereas with this, you kind of go, hey, this is who you're playing. And it's like, well, mm, could do this, could do that. All right. Uh, mm. 
and I found it becomes more about what have you got in your roster and how in your roster are you going to do certain things less about how you're going to deal with the opposition yeah yeah it's a lot more reactive at that point of playing the game than like you said half an hour before if you're in between games for other like we said aos is always going to be our fallback because that's the other game we play but you look at their list and you go right okay that does that and this is the mission so they're going to be probably doing this whereas in this you you know their roster but you never know what secures or which extracts they're going to be actually picking so it's a lot harder to kind of pre-game theory at all you've just got to actually go right okay now they're playing this mission and you've got to play like (laughs) there's no way of just knowing the outcome already yeah so how do you win the game so two ways the game goes for six rounds. I want to explain the difference between rounds and turns for those that um, are used to having turns. There are six rounds, and whoever has the most points at the end of six rounds will win. However, you can also win if you are the first to get either up to or past 16. Now, most of the crisis you score at the end of the round so most of the time you're trying to work out if you're going to get to 16 or not by the end. But there are some that allow you to score midway through. And certain affiliations also have the ability to score points midway through the round. So it's something to be aware of. But generally, it's around trying to work out how you're going to get to those 16 points. I think I've only had one game where I've gone six rounds. Yeah, it's... I like it because it's like you're you've got to play the objectives. It's not just fight each other and see what happens. You're kind of always working out well. If I need the objectives this turn, I get this many points, or can I afford to give them the objectives this turn, and etc. Um, there are a few tactic cards as well that give you well a couple of tactic cards that give you victory points as well for certain characters. But I like it because, like you said, it is. You do have that six-round counter, but like you said, nine times out of ten, you don't reach that because you are playing objective-based games. So you you need to just keep on scoring as much as you can. Yeah, and you you've got to be aware of it as well when you when you're getting to turns. Generally, turns three and four. If if you some of them, it can go a bit sooner. But you're kind of looking at it like if I do this, I'll score this much. But you've also got to keep an eye on. If I do that, how much are they scoring? Because I've had it before where I've thought, oh, I'm in a good place. You know, I'm only one behind and I'll score 15. Well, one behind when you score 15 means they're scoring 16 and game over. You can't then pull it back in the next round, you know. And you you can also allows you, if you get a really strong lead, you can just hang on and think, well, I've only got to get three points in the next round. Doesn't matter if my opponent also scores eight points because I've, I've got, a lead enough i just need to get that magic 16 Mm. one thing to note is if you both score more than 16 as i say normally it's calculated at the end of the round so if comes the end of the round in what they call as the cleanup phase you get both have scored more than 16 it's whoever scored the most at that point wins if you hit the same you play one extra round whoever gets the most at that point wins and if you're still drawing at that point the game is classed as a draw So what is a round? A round is made up of three phases, the power phase, the activation phase, and the cleanup phase. And we'll go through those in a minute. The activation phase is made up of a number of turns. So 
theoretically or, or generally within the activation phase each character will get to activate and they can do a number of things in, as part of that and we'll get to that later but it means that as opposed to i do everything then my opponent does everything no i do something for one character my opponent does something for theirs i do something they do something and take it in turns so it's quicker it's much more interactive you don't get the periods where you're sat there waiting for your opponent to do something generally you're involved all the way through it allows you to be reactive to what your opponent's doing as well so you're not kind of you've done all of your movement and then your opponent sees a gap and a mistake and then they they can like move the whole entire army it is a very much a they move and then you've got to try and react to what they're doing or where, where you need to go and then you need to think well actually they could activate their character over there and maybe come and fight me here and it's it's a thinking man's game for sure Absolutely. And one of the other things I like about it is that there's a one or two characters, but excluding those in general, characters have two sides. So they have a healthy side and a dazed side. The healthy side is where you start. And rather than being able to just completely one shot a character, once a character has run out of health, they become dazed. And then in the next round, they get flipped over to their other side and then they get to do something now yes there are ways if you manage to daze somebody in the first round and you get the first activation of the second round and you then decide to ko that person the edge cases it can happen you can have a chance where your character might not get to do anything in the entire game but it is very edge case and it has to be a very specific set of circumstances so normally you're going to get a chance to do something with your characters you're not going to get the point where your opponent has a what I would class as a an alpha strike turn one and or round one and half your rosters disappeared. It just doesn't happen like that. Yeah, and it makes it a bit more thematic as well because in a lot of the comics you always think that the superheroes being knocked down, but they always pick themselves back up and fight again. So uh, it's a kind of it's that thing of whereabouts you think the heroes being knocked down and defeated by the enemy, but actually they they stand back up for a second win to then take the fight to them. But I mean they are normally kind of a lot more injured um so they don't have as much health and sometimes they lose some abilities but yeah they, it kind of gives you a second chance to use that character yes and that's something to be aware of the flip side of the character's card read it fully <laughs> <laughs> because often there'll be little bits that are either added in or removed subtle differences sometimes are quite major differences but generally they're subtle differences so make sure you you have a good read of both sides of each card when you've got some characters yes so one of the things that's not covered in the physical uh, rule book that you'll get as part of the game is picking a roster not too sure why this is i think it's because they wanted a, a living rule book but there is a rule book online you can find it through the atomic mass games website uh, and that's regularly updated and then definitely worth checking that out and we'll go through this in more detail in one of the mini episodes but the key thing here is that your roster will include 10 characters or gems so a gem will take up a character slot and there are certain characters that can take gems not everybody can you will have eight team tactics cards three secure crisis and three extract crisis so that will be what we class as a roster. So if you are playing in a event or a tournament, that's what you'll need. If you are playing 
with your mates potentially that's the easiest way or if you're doing pickup games definitely that would be the easiest way but you can always chop and change it like i say there's no reason why you can't pre-arrange which secures and extracts you're going to play if you're playing with your mates beforehand so that you can just pick what you need for that particular game or if you're having multiple games you can bring it all so how does it work from that point the first thing you'll do is you will pick priority so as part of that you both roll five dice so you both rock up with your rosters you roll five dice and whoever scores the most crits wilds and hits will win priority but martin d6s don't have crits hits and wild you're right chalmers Marvel Crisis Protocol uses a D8, not a D6. And that D8 itself has funny symbols, not numbers. So, if we quickly talk about dice, you get red dice, they have got one crit, which is like a bang with an exclamation mark in it. They have two hits, which is just a bang without an exclamation mark. We have a wild, which is like a swirling wind, I suppose. We have a shield. In fact, we have one shield, which is the defensive equivalent of a hit. There are two blanks, which, as the name suggests, are literally blank. And there is one failure, which is a skull. Now, a couple of subtle differences. A blank is classed as a failure, but you can re-roll it. Whereas a skull is a failure that, unless you have a special rule, you cannot re-roll. So when you have an ability that allows you to re-roll failures or just re-roll dice in general, you cannot modify or re-roll the um, skulls, but you can the blanks. In general, when you're attacking, you're looking for crits, wilds, and hits. When you're defending, you're looking for crits, wilds, and shields, technically known as blocks. Now, you'll notice that there are four successes when we're talking about rolling an attack. So there's two hits, there's a crit and a wild, whereas there's only three for defense. So there's the block, the crit, and the wild. So even if you're rolling the same amount of dice without any modifiers or special rules, the stats are that you should get more hits than defense. You should. should. And that's an important bit. So most of the time in the game your defense will be less than the attack dice so generally they should be doing damage anyway but statistically even if you're rolling the same they should do more one interesting thing about crits and wilds they're both cluster successes however wilds tend to trigger special effects and crits allow you to roll an additional dice so you'll roll those five dice you'll find out who's got the most hits crits and wilds if you've got the same amount then you go off the who's got the most crits if you still got the same amount most wilds and if you still got the same amount you re-roll what does getting priority mean chalmers winning priority means that you have to go first but you also get to choose which cure or extract cards you use absolutely and as we mentioned at the start there's a combination so Let's say, for example, I'm playing Chalmers, we both roll, I win priority, I get to decide, am I picking secures or am I picking extracts? If I were to say I'm picking secures, that means that Chalmers will pick one from his extracts and I'll pick one from my secures. Combined, that will create the crisis that we will then play. Yeah. 
the way that happens is now we've done this mainly on TTS, which does it very nicely for you. But in real life, what you will do is you will take your three of whichever you've got, secures or extracts, you'll shuffle them up, you'll take the top one off, and that will leave you with two cards. You will then look at those two cards and pick one from two. So you can never guarantee which one you're going to take. There's always a one in three chance that the card you want is not going to be <laughs> there. Which is and good. I like that. I like yeah. that because it like you said, it stops you just pre-planning a whole entire game plan of going, right, okay, well, if I get the secures, I'll just pick this one and then I know how to play that. You, you've got to learn how to use all three secures in your deck or three extracts. Absolutely. And it, again, it comes back to this concept around making sure that there isn't that massive pre-plan. It, it's around this this element before the game where you've got to be flexible, you've got to be able to react to what's given to you. Now, those, like you say, those two, so you would put them face down and then once everybody's picked, we flip them over and you reveal it. When you reveal it, each of the crisis has got a threat value. And if you've won priority, so in our example, I've got priority, I would pick which of the two cards the threat value we're going to play. So, for example, if I'd picked one with a threat value of 14, Chalmers had picked one with a threat value of 17, I could decide to either play the entire game at 14 or at 17 and that would yeah. be the same for both of us yeah so you can kind of if you know that your opponent has got quite a top end roster where a lot of their characters are high threat level then you could play that 14 so they're kind of restricted to only a couple of models that they can put on the table absolutely so there's a there's an element of tactics in there but you're only winning priority 50 percent of the time you can't rely on it now, once we've picked the priority, so in our wonderful example, we're going to go with 17 because that's the most common one. We then go away and behind closed doors or whatever, you will then pick your characters slash gems to a value of 17. And each character has on their character card a value for their threat. It's the one top right. And that basically says what the, the value of each character is and we'll pulled together until you've got 17. Things to consider whilst doing this is affiliations. Affiliations is essentially a way of grouping superheroes. So a good example is Asgard. There are a number of Asgardians within the game. I think we've got six at the moment. They're all part of the Asgard affiliation and they have a leader in Thor. Now, if you have Thor and you have more than 50% of the characters that are going to be on the table not necessarily of the roster but of that threat value so in our example 17 then that entire set of characters whether they're asgardian or not will then get the special rule for the asgard affiliation and that special rule will be on thor's card and in essence it means that you can pay a power and remove a status token or uh, one health affiliations they only last while Thor is on the table absolutely once Thor dies you lose your affiliation bonus it does increase your vulnerability shall we say of your characters when they're your leader because people will look at it and go oh, if I can get rid of them they lose their bonus depends how powerful the bonus is but at the same time the leaders tend to be one of the most powerful ones in your team so it's not always to get easy to get rid of them 
and as you'll find out later on, it's not always best to attack characters, which sounds wrong, but we'll explain. It is something to be aware of though, because it is more than 50%. If you have six, if you've picked your th 17 threat, and as part of your 17 threat, you've got six characters, if three of them are from the Asgard affiliation and three are not, you are not classed as Asgardian. You have to make sure it's more than 50%. In early games, I picked my characters for the table and I realized halfway through that I wasn't getting the bonus because they weren't actually more than 50% yeah. for that affiliation, which is embarrassing to say the least. You can get, there's a couple of characters in the game where you can take them and they count towards the affiliation, but they are kind of few and far between. I'm thinking Taskmaster lets you... Taskmaster does, and as does Winter Soldier. So one way you can find out which affiliation each character belongs to is, again, on the Atomic Mass Games website. They have an affiliation list. I think it's under the organised play, but it might be under the, the usual section. But go in there, have a look. That's updated regularly. Every time a new character comes out and is released, they update those affiliation lists to make sure that they're kept up to date so it's a good place to to go and check out after you've picked your characters based at your threat level you'll also need to pick your team tactics cards now if you're paying attention you've got eight team tactics cards as part of your roster for the game itself you can only have five so you need to decide which five you want some team tactics cards are specific to certain characters so if you haven't picked that character in your team based on the threat value, then you don't want to be using that. Some are related to a particular affiliation. So potentially you could have what we call a dual affiliation roster, and we'll go through those later. But in essence, that means that you've got the option to go with more than one affiliation. And therefore you might have a team tactics card that is for an affiliation you're not using. You might be a fool like me in pick a load of characters that not have the affiliation at all so again you can't use that um but in essence you pick your five from your eight generally i found that i pick certain ones that are specific to a set of characters so generally i find that most of my picks have been decided based on which characters i get normally there's only one or two extra options i can choose how have you found picking team tactics cards? There's definitely a knack to it, I think. Like, I th Even when building your roster, you have to make sure that you don't just go down the route of just picking a load of character-specific ones because you're not always guaranteed to use those characters. But you don't want to overload with affiliation cards because sometimes you might not be running the affiliations. So there's definitely a balance between them all. Absolutely. I, I think there's some cards in there that are kind of no-brainers like for most lists. And there's a few that kind of I don't think we'll see many lists at all. Yeah, and, and there are a vast amount of Team Tactics cards already in the game. And we tend to see the same ones come up time and time again. But there are over 103 Team Tactics cards throughout the game currently. This is ever increasing. Each character um, pack that gets released has got at least one or two Team Tactics cards in. Fully expect that number to grow. They are starting to reprint some. So I think X-Men was the first time they did it in one of the X-Men boxes. There was a reprint of, I think it was Advanced R&D, but they, they are still churning their way through. So I expect that number to go up 
and therefore you know when you think about 103 down to eight down to five that's a lot to cut through yeah it makes life easier because a lot of those are either based on an affiliation or a character but it's not always the case so there's a fair bit to do there one other thing to be aware of if you are doing a tournament or an event is they have released a set of restricted and banned team tactics cards now they've said they're not going to do this for characters this is only going to be for team tactics cards and the band there's only one at the moment which is drop off for the restricted i think there are five or six currently out there of those you can only have two in your roster so of that group of restricted cards you can only have two so one thing to be aware of yeah and it's nice that they are kind of putting in the restrictions because they're restricted for a reason (laughs) yes Um, they're trying to bring some some spice to the the game we were starting to see the same ones used over and over again yeah and i mean the game is relatively well balanced so there is always going to be one or two cards that slip through or a combo that they don't see when like you said there's over 100 tactic cards and we're getting up to what's it now 70 characters and gems Um, 71 characters and gems at the moment yeah and like the combos between all of them they could play test it a million times and there might be one or two that slip through that by the looks of it they already have but it's nice to see a company actually be on top of that and go actually right let's reel these ones in a bit yeah and it gives them the ability to react and plan and you know something that in the initial you know drop off they've already said initially drop off was a sound card, they play tested it, it was fine, but as they expanded they realized, started to realise there were issues with that card and actually what they've done is they've got rid of drop off and they've created a a drop off esque card called Special Delivery, but that's specific to She Hulk and A Force. Yeah. And what that means is that they can limit who can and can't use it, so they can control it much better. And I think we'll see that more and more as the game grows. We'll probably see more on the banned and the restricted list. But I think it's good. It stops stops the same ones from coming up over and over again. But at the same time, especially in the restricted space, it doesn't stop you from taking it. It just makes it another decision. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't make just go, right, I'll take that one, that one, that one, that one, that one. Oh, what have I got left? You go, right, okay, I can only take two from that list. Let's see what other cards there are. And I'm sure over time, either more cards will get added to that or you'll see better cards come out from some of the characters' affiliations that actually people don't need to lean towards those restricted ones. Yeah. Turns versus rounds. What's the difference, Mr. Chalmers? A turn is an activation so activating one of your characters to go the round is literally once everyone has activated and you've gone through the power phase the activation phase and the cleanup phase so that is the key difference though a turn is a character's activation whereas a round is the entire set of activations and Again, if you come from a set of games where turns means rounds and vice versa, it can be a little bit confusing with some of the terminology, but you will get there. As part of a round, as we've mentioned already, there are three phases. So we'll briefly go through them. The power phase. 
Now, power is is power. It is everything, and it will be the first episode of our mini-series where we delve into it. So I'll not go into too much detail here. Go check that out once it's out. But in essence, in the power phase, you receive power for your characters. You resolve any effects that happen, and initially from player effects and then from crisis effects. Again, in TTS, there's a fantastic button at the bottom that does automatic power phase, so it's super easy to work out. When we come to do it in real life, it's going to be a bit more manual. <laughs> be look, looking for that button. That yeah, exist. I'll be like, what do I do here? But in essence, we're being, you know, there are some edge cases here, but in general, all of your characters will get one power. If they're Asgardian, they'll get two. If they have a gem, they will get one extra power per gem. So there are some out there in the universe that are super powerful, shall we say, um, which can have multiple gems and they will get an extra power token per gem. You'll then get into the activation phase. Now, again, all of this is in the back of the rule book. There's a nice quick reference guide, but we'll kind of stay high level at this moment. And again, there'll be another episode where we delve really deep into the activation phase. But in essence, in an activation phase, whoever has priority gets to activate first. So in our previous scenario where I had priority, I'd picked 17 threat, we'd got all our stuff, we'd done our power, I then get to activate first. Like I said, I can play a team tactics card straight away. I can potentially do something. So for I'm using Asgard as my example here. The Asgard affiliation rule would be that you need to activate it at the start of the activation. There are certain cards that have to happen at the start of an activation. Then I've got two actions that I can do with my character. Now, actions are either move, attack, use an active superpower, or shake. Move is, as you can imagine, move. And now all characters have got a movement value. And it's nice and simple. It's small, medium, large. There's templates in the uh, box. You basically put them on there and they can move up to the length of that ruler. And I'll not try and explain it on a podcast because it's much easier to see in real life. But in essence, unlike again coming back to the games that we've played in the past where it's so many inches and the front of your base can only move that many inches on this you put the ruler touch in the front of the base and then you move the back of the base to touch the other end of the ruler so you get a little bit extra movement and that's important when you've got characters with big bases example modok only moves short but actually he's got a huge base so if you take where the front of his base starts to where the front of his base ends, it's much more than that little short ruler. Other ones is you can actually, within a move, there's an advance, which we've just talked about, or a climb, which basically means you move short, but you can climb on top of a building. Attack, you've got attacks listed on your card. And again, we'll do a separate episode on attacks, but in general, we have a concept of builders and spenders. So a builder is an attack where you generate power. A spender is where you spend power and it tends to be more powerful. And we'll go through that in a later episode. You have superpowers. These are the powers listed at the bottom of your card. These come in a number of different flavors. You can have active superpowers, reactive superpowers, and innate superpowers. Some of those superpowers have got the word in bold action in front of them. And they cost you an actual action. Others don't and they don't cost you an action. So a 
one to be aware of there. Active superpowers you use when you are active. Reactive superpowers you can only use when a set of circumstances have happened. And innate superpowers on all the time. It's got a nice little infinity symbol for it, which helps show what it means. Now, the superpowers come in many different flavors. One of my favorites is around pushes and throws. And depending on the character, depends on what they can do. Some characters can steal uh, objectives off others. Some characters can make characters move. Um, like I say, they can throw them. They can push them. There's a whole raft of different superpowers that you can do. You can add extra dice. You can increase your defenses. You can heal. Absolutely react to certain attacks so if you get attacked you can attack back straight away out of activation sequence it allows them to add vast variety to different characters and really give them flavor yeah you can have um like the bodyguards of wakanda or you could do the uh healing or you could pass on power so like uh wong for example can generate power and then pass it on to other characters so you you can kind of help build up other characters where needed so yeah there's there's so many different thematical but also kind of tactical choices that like i said you can literally just look through the full library of characters and see so much difference between everyone yeah and then you can also an action is called classed as a shake is also classed as a action and a shake is basically if you have a special condition then you can shake that off one of the key parts of the game is power and we'll we'll roughly touch on that here and i can say there'll be a more detailed episode but power is how the game works and it's all about resource management so power is gained in the power phase you gain it from your builder attack which generally is an attack where it will state you gain power based on the damage dealt and you can also gain power when you get damaged so that's nice because it means that you're your opponent has always got to think about what they're doing like it's not always best to just charge in and attack someone because if you do lots of damage to them but you don't kill them you've then given them a lot of power and if they activate next they could then hit you with those spender attacks that could potentially knock you out it's one of those where it's it is thematic because it's in the comics like the heroes are fighting each other and as they're taking more damage to get angrier and they get like more stronger and they want to try and like fight back to use those bigger powers so it's that back and forth like battle between the two absolutely and i think you touched on it again one of the things about the game that makes it so great for me is this awkward situation you can find yourself in where in most war games doing damage to your opponent is a good thing you want to do damage to your opponent you're looking at ways to damage your opponent in this game there are a number of times where i've looked at it and gone I don't actually want to damage them. Because <laughs> yeah. if I do, they get one extra power or whatever the damage is. And if they get more power, that means they can do a more powerful attack. And I'm in a vulnerable situation. If I don't attack them, they don't have enough power to do the really scary thing. And I'm comfortable with them doing the lesser of the attacks. That happens so many times. Also, team tactics cards. Be aware with team tactics cards. Sometimes you'll attack somebody and you think, oh, I'm doing the right thing here. And then because you've done damage, they've got power and they go, hi, I'm now going to do this, this and this. And you're like, oh, why? why? If I just hadn't done that one extra attack. (laughs) So it adds a real extra dimension to the game that, again, for me is fascinating. And I'll be honest, I'm still trying to get my head around it to be at a point where I can 
really utilize that to the best of my ability but it is it is a fantastic extra dynamic we'll briefly go through there there is an attack sequence and then this is one of the great things again that amg have done atomic mass games they've clearly detailed attack sequence within the rules and again other games i won't name any this time have done this in the past but a very high level and it doesn't really help as much as this this has got it down to the nth degree and it clearly states what to do so if you are playing the game and you've got questions around when do things happen go and check that out first because it clearly states in the order in which things happen and it really does help for example you resolve crits before you modify dice which means if you do a re-roll and then you roll a crit you can't get an extra dice for that it also means that it says when you modify your dice when you modify the opposing players dice because that comes up quite a lot and only at that point do you calculate successes and failures um it's really clear really nice and simple it's definitely worth checking out yeah it's it's easy to kind of go especially if you like if you kind of play more and more new characters like some of them have certain special abilities or conditions that happen at a certain point and if you're in the middle of the combat and you're like oh i've never had this before you can literally look at the it's what 19 points long or something like that where or or something along those lines where it literally points out every specific thing that could happen and the kind of position to do it so once you've seen it you'll kind of get a gist of exactly where everything's happened so on the back of the core rulebook, you'll see the attack sequence, and that's got 15 steps. And they've now got an appendix, and it's called Appendix A, Timing, just a 14, but it's got a number. Each each one has got multiple A, B, Cs, and Modified Dice now has. So 9, 9A, 9A.1, 9A.2, <laughs> and so on. Um, but again, it, it really clears it up, so there's no arguing over what happens where, when. It's just nice, simple cracks crack on with it yeah so once you've done your activation your opponent's done their activation and back and forth and no more activations need to happen we get to the cleanup phase now generally the cleanup phase is where you start to work out what does the what does the crisis do sometimes the crisis actually cause some effects so gamma shelters for except for example if you're not close to a gamma shelter you get issues with gamma and you take damage that's when the cleanup phase it's also the point at which you tend to score your victory points. Depending on which extracts you are holding and which secures you are securing, you will get victory points based on that. That then finishes the round. At that point in the cleanup phase also, you will flip over any characters. So a character is dazed, but they stay dazed until the end of the round, at which point they then get flipped over. And that is the end of a round. And then you crack on again and keep going. One other thing to be aware of is priority changes. In our scenario, if we go back to it, I had priority, we were playing along, and let's say, for example, of my 17th threat, I had six characters, but Chalmers had four characters. If I then activate last based on that, Chalmers will then get priority. So whoever activates last loses priority in essence. What this means is, if you've got equal amount of characters, so nobody's done anything weird and taken super powerful characters, then priority stays with the person who started with priority, unless 
they manage to daze one of their opponent's characters who hasn't activated. That then knocks out all the activations and in essence gets you to a point where you then flip priority. That on the face of it, I really like because it means that as somebody starts to lose, they then get priority and therefore they've got a chance to then attack. But as the game's developed, people have cotton on to this and they start to manipulate priority. So if you've got a really killy team that wants to go first, you probably pick less characters. But there are other ways to play the game. And if you want to play a team that controls, so wants to be pushing people around or throwing them, then that will happen. You want to be doing that near the end. So you push them away from a crisis to a point in which they're controlling or you want to throw them away. In those situations, you want to go last. So you actually want to have more characters. So there's a game within a game within a game within here, as always, around priority manipulation, which again is a fantastic part of it where you've really got to think about the number of characters you're taking based on the threat value to see whether or not do you want priority, do you not want priority, do you not care? Yeah, and it just adds that, like you said, it's a tactical thinking even throughout the game like you can kind of get to turn two turn three and then you you've got to think actually do i want to go and ko that character because then that would potentially give my opponent the next turn priority and then they could do this or that Uh, that's what we've kind of talked about kind of previously you don't always have to go and attack opponents um it's always about playing those objectives and trying to score the points so sometimes not killing a character is the best option there to guarantee you the priority for the next turn Absolutely. Um, and and there's, there's many ways to play this game. And that's what I love about it. All the different affiliations have their own unique flavor. And it allows you to play the game in multiple different ways. Yeah. And it, it doesn't feel like it gets stale. Like You, you play that list. You've, you play your list and it's always going to be a different uh, kind of outcome in a different way that you play it. Because you've got potentially six different objectives that you're playing with. Six different objectives your opponent's playing with their roster could be completely different because you're picking from a roster of 10. So you're kind of constantly... I don't think you could ever know exactly how a game's going to go like from the off in any circumstance. There's no way of just going, right, okay, yeah, that's going to happen, that's going to happen, crack on. No, absolutely. That's what I like about it. It's not a... You're not building to a meta as such. I know there are kind of some meta choices, but overall you can kind of build to what you want and still have a decent game totally agree i think you know there's always people that will try and break the game no matter what the game is and i'm sure they will but for for the majority of us it there is just so many different variables but they're not complex variables so you know if you're playing this for the first time it doesn't necessarily make it any more complex. It's just another thing that you can start to try and manipulate as you grow into the game and get to understand it more. Yeah. Now, the way we've talked about playing, so that's kind of a a brief run-through of how we play. And like I say, we're going to do deep dives into it all, so don't worry if any of that maybe passed you by a little bit. But there are other ways to play the game. The way we've we've gone through here is the, the main way in which you can play the game. But there are a couple of different ways. The first one is something called Ultimate Encounter. Now, currently, there are three Ultimate Encounters that I'm aware of. They are for Ultron, Hulk, and Thanos. And essentially, this is its a bit of a co-op game where you and maybe a couple of mates come together and take on 
Ultron, Hulk, or Thanos. Yeah. And that's then controlled by one person, and you, you go from there. We haven't done that yet. It is something that we've been tempted to do, because you can do that on TTS as well in real life so it's something definitely we're going to explore at some point um but we haven't quite got around to it but it definitely looks good and it's worth having a look at in addition to that there are and again sorry i'm just checking you can see these on um the website as well so again on atomicmassgames.com they've got the ultimate encounters in there so they've got uh, ultron incredible hulk they don't the have the thanos one thanos one comes with the main box set so with thanos it's a you get the throne you get his ultimate encounter which is a whole entire separate like pack of cards um you get a different uh character card for him as well yep there's a more powerful like huge card so yeah it's a really cool little set i picked it up last week and just for thanos itself but actually everything else you get with it is a nice light addition i like him because like i say it's something a bit different you can play it with a few mates it's a kind of completely different style it's not just playing a war game it's like playing an actual we need to fight thanos or <laughs> we need yeah. to take on a very angry hulk or you need to fight ultron and it's probably the only way you're going to see ultron on a table so yeah <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately it's true um and then there are two two other formats so there's the the battle realm format and then there is the party format so sorry the battle realm is part of the arena format and the collector is part of the party format now again we haven't played either of these so i can only briefly tell you what they they are aimed at you will pick a player your the opponent will pick a player and then you can dim- dismiss a player from your opponent's set yeah. so you start with 15 each and you can dismiss it then the other player dismisses then you recruit a couple then you recruit a couple and so on and so on looks a really good format not one i've tried yet but again it keeps the game a little bit fresh and it stops your opponent from constantly getting the same characters in so if you are you know, only have one or two opponents that you play regularly and they're always using Modoc, for example, but you want to be able to play something slightly different, you can use that format and then that uh, will allow you to be able to almost veto certain characters. Yeah. So if you've picked one, then they can't pick the same one, is it? I don't think it stops you from doing that. I think it's just you, you both rock up with your 15. Right, and, okay. Um, That's good. So I've not really looked for it too much, but I, I just saw that they had like the different packs and the pools, so... I didn't know whether it was a, they could pick one and then that's it. You, yeah. No one else can have it. No, and then that is more like the collector. So that's part of the party format. Now, this one is meant for a close group of friends, you know, a tight knit group. And I think the, the theory here is you let people borrow your models. And I think that's why they, right, they okay. say it like this. But in essence, what this is about is it's a, almost giving you an idea of how to draft particular players so you create some packs and you draft from there again the rules are on the website have a look if you're interested I, we've not played though i know others have gone off and done their own way of doing it it's i think it's much more popular in america where they're used to doing drafts we don't tend to do drafts in the uk quite so much yeah. so i'm not sure that many people in the uk would get it straight away but it's definitely something i would be tempted to to try at some point i know with tts at the moment being so popular and for those that aren't aware, apologies, we've been using this all the way through. TTS is Tabletop Simulator. If you haven't got it, go check it out. And it, it in, a set, in essence, allows you to draft your characters and therefore 
nobody has the same character and you find that you're forced into certain picks which then again adds an extra level of tactics to the game and, and forces you into not picking the same people that you would pick all the time and forcing yeah. you out your comfort zone so it definitely could be quite fun to play down the club because you could if someone had the full collection they didn't mind others using it you just have a club night where about everyone picks yep like from that and then that's it that's their roster for the next like three four night club nights and they've got to only use those and work out what they can what uh threat levels they can pick from yeah quite fun and i've heard a number of people have tried it and it does seem to have be successful i think that the key thing that i've heard from those that have tried it is you only really want to play three or four games with it because if yeah. you do go wrong in your rost in your draft and you do overbid for something or you kind of you, you don't get that missing piece because somebody's outbid you for it then you can be left with something that isn't particularly viable yeah of course going forward so you don't really want to be stuck with more than three or four games of it yeah so that's that's how you play um like i say there are multiple ways but what we've described earlier on in the the podcast is is the the main way to play and that the way you'll see it played in in the majority of tournaments a couple of other things to shout out tts as we mentioned is tabletop simulator simulator worth going and checking out it's it's a great way to play the game online it's very very similar to playing it in real life if anything it makes life easier than playing it in real life because there's a number of automated buttons. Definitely worth checking out if you've got a PC or a laptop that can run it. It doesn't take much to run. I'm planning to do a video at some point on how to use it, so look out for that on the YouTube channel. That's on the Tales of War Games YouTube channel. Other things to shout out, previous games we've played, WhatsApp has been the main communication channel, shall we say, for people to share ideas. I know there's been multiple Facebook groups, but WhatsApp, I've found, has probably been the more popular. With regard to Marvel Crisis Protocol, I've seen there's a number of Facebook groups. So if you're on Facebook, go and check those out. But Discord seems to be the channel of choice, shall we say, for Marvel Crisis Protocol. And there are a number of Discord channels. If you are wanting to find one, give me a shout on Twitter or Instagram um, at Martin Swaffield. Give me a shout and um, more than happily send you the invites to those relevant Discord servers. There's there's some really good uh, advice and information on those, so definitely worth checking out. There's also been some leagues and there's uh, been some one-dayers and we had a team tournament as well, um, all based off the TTS Discord channel. So again, definitely worth going, checking that out if you are interested in playing more games with people. The league has been really successful. The league tends to run for six weeks and we had, I think, 63 players this time in the East League. So Very nice. The leagues are split up based on time zones. So there is uh, uh, an east, a central, a west, and I think an oceanic. So depending on different time zones, you can play on those. You don't have to live in those areas. It is literally based on time zones. So if you're somebody who likes gaming in the morning and you're from the UK, go and check out the oceanic one because you might be able to play games when they're all on an evening. And it's all based around 7 o'clock on that time zone yeah um very successful like i say it runs for six weeks and then the people at the top go off and play knockouts and then there's a more relaxed beta league um that then runs in place yeah i'm looking forward to playing uh season five when it comes up 
I, I kind of missed the first one, so I, I'm looking. Uh, sorry, not the first one, the fourth one, season four. So yeah, I'm looking forward to playing our uh, season five. Yeah, no, I played in season four with Tom, um, and we really enjoyed it. And it's a real variety. Um, I, I played against some people who literally played one or two games online. Or, or at all, in fact, um, before joining the league. And then there were others who have been playing it since the first league started over a year ago. Yeah. So um, it's a real variety. Everybody's super friendly. Everybody gets it. Everybody's welcoming to, to new people. I think everybody at the moment is still on about growing the community and welcoming a new player. So if you are new and you're unsure, just jump in both feet. I think the next one's probably going to be in four or five weeks time season five so look out for that but like i say if you are looking to get onto any of those groups just shout reach out to us uh, and we'll point you in the right direction yeah and it's the best way of learning the game is just jumping straight in and just playing a few league games because the more you play the more you're going to pick up um it's pointless going oh well, i don't know i'm not too sure of the, like the rules and whatnot just just play it's the easiest way and just kind of you might fumble through the first couple of games but it will be fine. By game three, you'll know what you're doing. Absolutely. 100% agree. And, and that's how we all did it. We've kind of just bundled our way through and we, we've got to a point now where we've got a pretty good grip of it. Um, so there you go. Now, that was the rundown on how to play. Hopefully that was helpful to you. As I say, we're going to be breaking it down into more detail within the mini series where we pick different elements and run with those. A couple of examples of that is uh, we've got power, not even the power phase, just power in general. We're going to go through as the first one. Some of the others is around status tokens and what they can do. Throws, pushes and cover. Tools and dice. Attack charts. Creating rosters. The full whack will be going in. We'll be breaking it down further. How you can utilize it in your games. How you can exploit it and how you can get the most out of it. Definitely. Should be fun. So, Chalmers, if the listeners want to get in touch with you or see the the beautiful miniatures that you're painting, how can they get in touch with you on the socials? I am at Tales of War Games on Twitter, Twitch, Instagram. And on YouTube? YouTube as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah, just anything that's not Facebook. So, yeah. Just search Tales for Tales of War, of War Games. Games. Um, and you'll find me at Martin Swaffield on both um, Twitter and Instagram and you'll also find it at Tales of Crisis on Twitch. Thank you for listening and good night. See you later.